0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's important, I think it's really helpful to know uh, the post-exilic books. Uh, the book of Ezra, the book of Esther, the book of uh, Nehemiah. Um, And then along those lines with those historical books, we have the prophetical books, which is Haggai and Zechariah. And so, you know, it might sound like a lot to some of you, but as you continue to study and as we go over these books, probably for the next year or so, I don't know, maybe six months, um, we're going to learn it and you guys, it's going to stick in. And what it is in a nutshell is that God is the God of the second chance. You know, we mess up, you know, I, I, we uh, blow it. And what God does a lot of times is he disciplines us. He disciplines us because he loves us. But that discipline, uh, according to Hebrews 12, it changes us. It, it brings us to him sometimes. It, it really, uh, it, man, is so cool how God doesn't leave us to ourselves. He gets involved and yeah, it hurts. And yes, we go through hard times, But man, it's because God is wanting to do a new work. And uh, I'm here to say that God is forgiving. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is loving. That's who God is. He's not like us. You know, we have a hard time forgiving people sometimes, you know. But God is so cool. I mean, the the split second, you say, I want to get right with God. You know what? He doesn't say, well, let me think about it. You know, right there, right then, I mean, in this moment, in this house, and that seat where you're sitting in, right there at that blink of an eye, in one eleventh of a second, He makes you right. Because that's the power of the cross. You know, we get the mentality, we get the human mentality, like it's going to take some time and to get in that right relationship with Him, and it, it doesn't. Positionally speaking, instantly, we're right. Now, as far as changing and as far as really allowing that transformation to really manifest itself, yeah, it takes time. But you got to know, first of all, that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you are redeemed. And when we look at uh, the book of Ezra, that's what happened. The children of Israel had messed up. And, you know, the thing about the Lord, um, you know, he warns us, huh? He says, hey, you know what, get your life right. You know, you know, uh, keep your eyes on me, you know, spend some time in prayer, go to church, read your Bible, whatever it is, you know, don't do that. Do this. And, you know, he's so patient with us, man. I mean, and, you know, you know, 77 times later, finally, God says, "Okay, then I'm going to have to deal with you and I'm going to have to take your iPod away, you know, and you guys lose it for a week or whatever. I don't I don't know. You know, different things happen. You get spanked by God. I think sometimes people don't even know they're being disciplined and they're being disciplined. You know, if you listen, he'll tell you, Mijo, Mija, I'm, 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 I'm punishing you. I'm disciplining you because I want to change an area of your life. That's what he did with Israel. And he took them out of the land. I mean, that was their land. That had been promised to Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. But they just kept doing their own thing. And so God said, well, then you're going to have to get, you know, disciplined. And for 70 years, they were in Babylon. And in all reality, they didn't deserve to come back. And, it, you know, in, in a technical sense, we don't deserve mercy. But it's okay because God is a merciful God. 70 years later, now we see they're coming back to the land. And maybe there's a person here tonight. Maybe there is some here tonight that tonight God really wants to send that message home. That you, that we need to make a decision in our heart, in your heart, that you need to go back. You need to come back to the Lord. It's up to you. And when we see God is that type of God Dealing with Israel, dealing with us, it's just so cool because then he gives us a new beginning, you know. And that's what happened with Israel. That's what this whole book is all about. The, the book of Ezra is the Jews returning from slavery, man, to come back to this place in Jerusalem where they would rebuild the temple. What did they do in the temple? Was it so that we can see something nice and, and fancy and glorious? And hey, we got a building now? No, it's so that they could worship. So that we can worship God. And that's what it's all about, man. It's all about worship. You're like, well, what's worship? Worship is living your life for the Lord. I mean, there's nothing better than worship. There is nothing better than living your life for the Lord. And that's why they re- rebuilt the temple, man. They're going to establish worship. And, and so they get back in 586 B.C. The temple had been destroyed 70 years later. Just like the Bible says in Jeremiah 29.10, they rebuilt the temple. If you go to 605 B.C., they had first Babylonian assault, man. They got You know, beat up by the Babylonians 70 years later, they then returned to Jerusalem. Just like the Bible says, right? And so what ends up happening, as we go through Ezra, it's kind of interesting when you look at what happens. I'll tell you guys this, that as they start rebuilding the the temple, today we're going to see they rebuild the altar, they lay the foundation. They start building, but here's what happens. Uh, The enemy comes in and opposes them. And what they do is they allow the enemy a 10-year period of victory over their life. And for 10 years, the work stops. Now, sometimes that happens in our own life. We get saved and God's doing a great work and then the enemy comes in and just, you know, it sounds foolish. But we allow the devil to stop the work that God is doing in us and through us. That's what happened to them for 10 years. They were afraid. And a lot of times that's our problem is fear. And so for 10 years the work stopped. But by the the prophecy of Zechariah and Haggai, you would never think that it would take a prophet to help them rebuild the building. But that's exactly what it takes. It's the word of God. It's the word of God that will encourage you. It's the word of God that will reestablish you. It's the message of God. And I'm telling you this, man. you got to listen. you got to listen to God. You have to listen to the Lord because I promise you this. No matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, it doesn't matter. Some of you here are, are good and some of you here are struggling. I promise you this. God is speaking to you. Just the question is whether or not you're listening to the voice of God. And if you would still, you know, just kind of like the Bible says, be still. If you would still yourself and listen, you know, you'll hear his voice. So it was through Haggai, it was through Zechariah, it was through the the word of God being prophesied to them that they then began to build again. And in 515 BC, it was so cool the temple was rebuilt. And so that work we're going to see as we go through today, it was under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua. But um, it's interesting, even though the book is named Ezra, he doesn't actually appear on the scene until 57 years after the second temple is built. And so we don't know for sure. Some people believe that what ended up happening was... um, that they started off well and then they backslid. That happens to us sometimes. I mean, I see it as a pastor a lot. And I'm not you know, saying it's okay to do, but sometimes people go backwards and they backslide. They, they have a relationship with God and things stop and then they go the wrong way. I mean, what we're reading about Israel is what happens a lot of times in the church. But whatever you do, don't be discouraged, don't give up, because God still wants to work. And so what ended up happening is Ezra came after 57 years, and what he did is he did something greater than they had ever experienced, and he reinstituted or he restored temple worship. There are some people who even believe that under the leadership of Joshua and Zerubbabel, that they built the temple, but they never really, really had temple worship until Ezra came and sometimes that 's what happens in our life as well. You know you get saved, and you know for whatever reason you 're not seeking the Lord the way you should, or maybe you 're not being taught the Bible well or, or whatever the case is and and you know fifty seven years later or whatever. Um, A time goes by, and then all of a sudden, you come to this worship, you come to this life as a Christian, something that you've never had, even though you've been a Christian for X amount of years. I think Ezra probably symbolizes that. I mean, here he comes and he reestablishes or he institutes it for the first time, a temple worship uh, for what it's supposed to be. And we're going to see when we get to chapter 7, verse 1, that that's when Ezra returns and he leads the people back to the land. And, you know, just so much going on. In, in, in case you're wondering, you know, Esther becomes queen in, in 478 B.C. And we're going to see that that actually takes place between chapter 6 and 7. Uh, chronologically speaking, and then Nehemiah returns later to spearhead the rebuilding of the walls, and that's about 444 45 B.C. That's about 13 years after Ezra had arrived back in Jerusalem. So all these guys are contemporaries. Part of the message we're going to see is that it was through the teamwork, all these different people, Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah, Joshua Zerubbabel Haggai Zechariah through all these people that God does a work in Israel. And so uh let's let's read uh we're not going to read chapter 2 man because there is 30,000 names here that I can't pronounce and just in case you think that that's bad pastor Chuck didn't read it either okay but but look at verse 1. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2, Now these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own land. And So he's going to go on. He's going to give a list of a whole slew of names. So, you know, he gives a little bit of detail there. These were people that were taken away by Nebuchadnezzar. And let me tell you something just real quick. That was not a pretty sight. Oh, when they came and they surrounded the city and and the moms were eating their children. And they were just devastated. No food. Dying. I mean, it was not a pretty sight. When they put hooks in their mouths, when they would cut off a limb and they carried him away as slaves to Babylon. That was not not a pretty sight. I mean, you know, and you're taken away. I mean, and you're separated from your family and you're separated from your temple and your whole world caves in. You know, that happens sometimes in life. You know, but as they're there, it is so cool. Jeremiah had written his prophecy to them, and they would read it. Daniel would even read it in jeremiah twenty nine ten you guys remember that oh, you go, no, you guys know it right twenty nine eleven God says, "For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope right i mean they're in they're in slavery, and God is saying, "I want you to know." That I am thinking about you, you, and my thoughts towards you are good, not evil. And I have this future for you that is just beyond your wildest imagination. I mean, do you guys know that? Do you know that? Do you know how good God is? That even though we don't deserve it, that he is so good, that he is thinking about you, that his thoughts towards you, the Bible says, or as the sand of the sea. You read Psalm 139, and man, he's got all your days fashioned. It's an amazing future and a hope that we have. And so he tells these guys, he says, you know, and here's the thing, this is the way it works. And, and I've got this future for you, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to seek... After me. And I want you to do it with all of your heart. And he says there in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. And, and if you do, here's a promise. If you do, then I promise you this. You're going to find me. And what that means is that God is going to show up. And God is going to do things that, you man, will just blow your minds. All the goodness. All the dreams. All the the the, the desires that are from Him. I mean, just, I'll tell you what, you guys, you know, you don't realize how good God is. You don't realize how our cup runs over. You don't realize, I don't think we realize sometimes, the, the love, the peace, the joy, the power, the victory, the goodness. I mean, we don't know it so many times and God is just saying if you just seek me with with all your heart you know you'll find me this morning I was just spending time with the Lord and to be honest with you we know going through trials man I mean you guys I don't know if anyone here knows what that is but trials you know our struggles and uh and the Lord you know and here I am you know a, a pastor And God, God, I heard God speak to me. He said, Manny, I want you to seek me like you've never sought me before. I want you to to pick it up on another notch. I want you to to seriously search after me. You know, and I heard the Lord just tell me that. And I I really I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna go for it. I'm going to go for it, man. And I pray that you would too. You know, you get rid of the things that get in the way. And you do what what he's called you to do. And this is how he wants you to pray? Then then that's how you're going to pray. And this is how he wants you to read the Bible? Then that's how you're going to read the Bible. And if this is a Bible study he wants you to go to, then, then you're going to show up. And you're going to, I don't know, let the things of the world... Just let them fade away. They don't belong. And you just let the things of the Lord be everything to you. Because he'll bless you. He will bless you. And so they're there in captivity. And the Lord says, I'm thinking about you. I got a future for you. I got a hope for you. But you got to seek me. And uh, and they did, you know. And so the Lord, he brings them back to this land, back to Jerusalem. What a, a beautiful thing that is. And so they return. Now, you know, like for example, look at verse 2. Those who came with Zerubbabel were uh, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Saraiah, Re'aliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Reham, and Ba'ana. Not banana, Ba'ana, the the number of the men of the people of Israel. A lot of people believe that those are the leaders right there, okay? And, you know, you read through this whole thing right here. We're not going to read through all the names. But that doesn't mean that each and every name isn't important, right? Um, When you look at this chapter, the first 35 verses, more or less we see the families that are involved. And how important are families, huh, Right? And then in verses 36 through 39, we see the priests that are listed there that came back from Babylon to Jerusalem. In verse 40, we see the Levites, and they would be the helpers to the priests, the descendants of Levi. The priests themselves were the descendants of Aaron. And then it's kind of cool how they gathered together in verse 41, the singers. You guys, I'm telling you, worship through song is huge and powerful. It really is. And then, I don't know about you, but I like to listen to worship music and put it on my earphones and just crank. I thank God that he hasn't allowed my ears to go bad because all my life I've been listening to loud music, man. But I'll tell you, there's nothing like listening to worship, huh? It's powerful. And so you got the singers coming in verse 42, the, the gatekeepers in, 40, in verse 43, the nephanim. And so, you know, all these sections of people in the list, it's kind of cool though. You know, you're then, well, why is it there, Manny? Well, maybe part of the reason God gives us the list is we're reminded that there really is such a thing as heavenly bookkeeping, okay? <laughs> you know, that. Uh, just in case you guys didn't know it, God knows your, your name. God takes note God takes notice of those who would be willing to leave maybe the comforts of a, of a Babylon and, and make that five-month journey so grueling. with The sacrifices in order to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. He takes note and He will reward you. He's writing it all down every single day. Did you guys know that there are books in heaven? I mean, like these people were, they labor for him. They were involved in the work of his temple. You guys, a lot of you here, you're you're laboring for the Lord and you might think that he's not noticing, but I tell you what, he is recording everything. You know, I don't know, isn't it trip the world that we live in right now, how there are cameras everywhere? You guys notice that? And it's kind of cool. We see some crazy things, don't we? With all these cameras that are everywhere, but God he got he has cameras everywhere he sees everything and so you know the list here all the names it's good for us to know that he takes note, that he notices hebrews six ten, it says for god is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you minister to the saints and do minister i tell you what god he notices the way that you labor for him and the, the Bible actually talks about different books in, in heaven. Um, did you guys know that there's a book of remembrance? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, And those who feared the Lord, they spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. And so apparently, every time you guys talk about the Lord and you're disfellowshipping with one another, the Lord's writing it down. It's called the Book of Remembrance. And there are other books. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, in verse 12, the Bible says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And apparently, according to Revelation chapter 20, there are books that record everything, every single day of our lives. It's in a book i tell you what, that trips me out, man. I'd like to read some books, to be honest with you. I wonder what they were doing that day, you know? Um, but there's also the, the most important one, of course, is, is the Lamb's Book of Life, right? Revelation 20, verse 15, it says, Anyone not found written in the Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. Those are the ones that say, I don't want you, God. I don't want you. I don't want your grace. I don't want your love. I don't want your mercy. I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want to live with you. And so God says, okay. Then your name's not written in the book of life. The ones that are written in the book of life, they go to heaven. So let me ask you a question Is your name there? Is your name written in the book? Well, the way that you get your name written in the book is you simply admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. He died for you. And you make that decision to humble yourselves and acknowledge your need for Him. You repent of your sins and receive him as Lord and Savior. And he'll write your name in the book of life. We read the same thing in Revelation 21, verse 27. And so, you know, these guys are written in the book. In this case, these were the ones that came back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And uh, we have, you know, the people of, the men of, uh, the priests in verse 36, the singers again in verse forty, the Levites in verse forty-one, the sons of the gatekeepers. It's kind of cool, you know. One thing I notice, you guys, whenever you go on a missions trip, it's cool because God always provides the people that He that He needs, so to speak. He always puts together like the A team. I've noticed that, man. You know, and that's what He's doing here. He's uh, okay. We need these Levites and priests and singers and you know whatever it is, the Nethanim. Uh, the Nethanim are mentioned here in verse forty-three, and those were uh, more than likely they were the Gibeonites. Uh, if you guys remember the story back in Joshua chapter nine, the Gibeonites they came from a long way. They pretended like they were uh, a long ways, but in all reality they weren't. And uh, and they made a deal with Joshua. Joshua didn't seek the Lord. He made a decision without praying about it, and as a result of that, the Gibeonites were spared. And and so, in Joshua chapter 9, in verse 21, uh, he says, And let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers. So that was the Gibeonites. They ended up becoming the Nethanim. Now, um, think about it. wood Woodcutters and water carriers. Now, this is really interesting. I don't know if you guys are weird like me, but let me be a little weird You know, because it's interesting. What ends up happening is, in one sense, it's like, okay, we got to serve. And so you want to know what happens? They get saved. It's kind of like that. A lot of people like to compare it to two people in the Bible, the Nethanim. They like to compare it to Simon and the Samaritan woman. Now, Simon, if you remember, was compelled to carry Jesus' cross. And what happened to Simon? He got saved. Another interesting thing, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, Jesus said, give me some water. So here, the Gibeonites, uh, they're forced to do the wood and do the water. Well, she, you know, is asked to give the water, and it's kind of interesting, she ends up getting saved. The Gibeonites were spared. And so, now we see them as nethanim, and nethanim, it literally means to be given. And they were given to the Levitical priesthood. It's interesting how that whole thing works because the whole tribe of Levi was given to Israel. And then the descendants of Aaron were the high priests and then the other Levites were given to Aaron. And then the Nethanim were given to them. It's just so cool. The Bible is so cool. And so anyways, you got all these different people that are identified there in verse 42, the sons of the gatekeepers and in verse 40, 55, the sons of Solomon's servants. And um, the total that came back were 42,360 plus 7,337. You see that there in verse 64? The whole assembly together was 42,360. Besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. It's interesting, huh? How come it doesn't say 36, 37? It's because every single person was counted, right? And so we see um, they gave. It's interesting. Look at verse 68. as they As they go to do the work in verse 68, some of the heads of the father's houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place, According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas and 500,000 minas of silver. That would actually be 1,100 pounds of gold. Wow, that's a lot of gold, huh? And 6,250 pounds of silver. And you know, when, when it comes to the the finances they say that you can tell a lot about a person by how they how they spend their money, you know, and I tell you what, it's so cool to see when the Lord stirs up people's hearts to give uh to the work of the ministry, to give to, to God for his temple, and he uses it, you know, and it's so cool to see how it's all recorded. In verse 69, it says, according to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work. You know, not everybody can give uh as much, you know. But uh that's a, that's something that we all have to search our own hearts on, you know. Um some people they say, "Well, I can't give, you know, cuz I got all the fancy stuff and you know, I got, you know, whatever." And and the Lord he he sees that. You can't fool him. So, you know, I would encourage you guys and I have to search my own heart to give to God what belongs to God, it all does, but you know i he'll he'll show you uh the details and you'll get blessed you're the one that's going to get blessed i've noticed that when you give to the Lord, you don't run out, but when you try to hoard it all up to yourself, you do, <laughs> and it's so cool to see the Lord provide. I was uh doing a little video, one of the guys in the Bible college he was actually um He was uh, doing a project about God being Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And I was telling him how um, he wanted to do a video. He's all, can you give us an example of how God provides? And I'm like, well, I could tell you about how every time we as a church took a step of faith to get a new facility that we could never afford it. Never afford it. But when we took the step of faith, whatever it was, whether it was that little building on Garvey or this right here, or even the park, man, we could never really afford it. But we felt like God was leading us. And and when we took that step of faith, and it was boom, then all the Lord provides. It's so cool. He he always does. But I was telling the one that kind of stood out to me is I remember when um, I was uh, a young guy working for Vons, but I was just working part-time. But I, I I just really believed that God was telling me to ask my wife to marry her. Well, she wasn't my wife yet, right? She was my girlfriend, right? That would be weird, <laughs> anyways. Um, you know. So uh, I mean, it's like, wait a minute. How are you going to provide for a family? How are you going to provide for a family? I mean, you know, I, I kind of I wanted her to stay home. I didn't want her to have to go to work. And how how are we going to provide? How are you going to do it? You're a part timer. You know, and as a part-timer for Vaughn's, man, they could put you down to 16 hours. You don't know what's going to happen. No benefits, not like the full-timers. But I asked her to marry me anyways. She said, no. No, I'm just joking. She said, yes. She said, no, you don't have enough money. No, she, you know what? She, <laughs> she also took a step of faith and she said, she said, yes. And the next week, my boss calls me into his office. And he says, we're giving you full-time status. Isn't that cool? I'm telling you what, man. You follow the Lord. Uh, you give to God what belongs to God. I remember one guy, he, he was, you know, talking to his wife. And, uh, you know, they paid all their bills, and they had $5 left. $5 left. He's a friend of mine. And so she uh, said, she's, oh, what should we do? And he said, I'll give it to God. Now, that's all we have, $5, give it to God. And they gave it to God, and God outgave them way beyond what they would have ever given to God. That's what He'll do. And I'll tell you now how long we've we been married, Shelly? It's been a while. We've been married for a while now. And, uh, you know, He has provided all along the way. And He will do that. But you've got you to gotta give to Him what belongs to Him, and you've got to trust Him. That's what they were doing here, and they gave. And so um, we move forward in chapter three and verse one. And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together. Notice the unity here, as one man to Jerusalem. You know, when they went back to the land, not everybody was living in Jerusalem. What you find is that they had their they actually went back to where their original houses were. So that would be different places in Israel, the houses of their original ancestors. But now, as they're going to do the work, they're united. They're united in Jerusalem. And that when, when there's a, a unity, there's going to be something great. You guys need to be united in your homes. Make sure you're on the same page with each other. And uh, we as a ministry and as a church, what does the Bible say? That they were all in one accord and on the day of Pentecost. And they are praying. And what ended up happening? Power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you do, you guys, don't let the enemy divide you and your homes or us in this church. You know, don't. that enemy tries to divide and conquer. No. Here they're gathered together as one man. And then in verse 2, then then Jeshua, the son of Josadak and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, I just love this word, they arose. I love that word, you know. And to me, it's like the opposite of it is just, you know, doing nothing, kicking back, being lazy. You know, and there's that time where God says, get up. Get up and and do something. And so, they arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses' the man of God. Though fear had come upon them, because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening burnt offerings. So I don't know, you know, like what the big picture is. Uh, for some of you here, there's like this major healing that needs to take place. But it begins with that first step. You know, sometimes when we've had people here, the first step was they sent us an email and they said, "I wanna, I wanna meet with a pastor. I wanna counsel with someone, or, or whatever." The first step was filling out one of those little prayer cards right there and just saying, "I need prayer for, you know, my son, or or whatever it might be." But there's there's that there's an initial step, you know, towards the 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 goal. And here, as they want to rebuild the temple they they begin with the the rebuilding of of the altar. We see that there these guys they rose up and they built the altar of the God of Israel there in verse two, you know, to offer burnt offerings on it and it's it's cool you know exodus twenty seven one through eight it tells you this the specifics on exactly how that altar would be built. So it was made of acacia wood, and it was overlaid with brass, and it would be, uh, what, four and a half feet high, and, uh, you know, the seven feet, you know, square. I mean, it was just, they, exactly. We saw one when we went to Israel. They already have it made. It's ready to go. And so, you know, they 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 built it, that altar, um, to offer the burnt offerings on it. Because that's where it starts. You know, where does it start? It starts with the grace of God and the forgiveness that for us is provided through Jesus Christ. You know, when you first become a Christian, you, you go forward, you make that relationship, and He washes you clean. But even as a Christian, I believe you still need to for- ask for forgiveness. 1 John one nine says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, and you got to confess, the word is homologeo. It just means say the same thing about it that that God says about it. And when you do, He washes you. And I know we can't remember all our sins, but just, you know, I want to encourage you guys to do this, okay? Spend some time searching your heart. I know life is busy. I understand. You're like, Manny, but I gotta commute to work. It's an hour and a half. And I worked ten hours today. And then when I got home, you know, I had to, you know, take care of my dog and just just all these things happened. And I don't have time to to sit down and examine my heart and look for sins inside of my life. I just and I and I'm telling you this, man, if you don't have time to search your heart and to see what areas that maybe are not right then you're you're going to you're going to experience a life that is not what God wants it to be you know we got to go to the altar and we got to we got to confess our sins you know we got to be even I, I like it right here. He says, Moses, the man of God. That's cool, huh? You know, Moses wrote the, the Pentateuch. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. And that's where they got the details regarding not only the size of the altar, the details of making it, but where it would be. It would be there in a certain location. He says, God's going to choose a place, and boom, it's got to go there. But it's so cool the way that it identifies Moses as the man of God. How many of you guys here would like that? over your life. You know, imagine that, man. I mean, mine is kind of already there. Man, man of God, you know. (laughs) No, I wish. But let me ask you a question, men. Um, Is being a man a matter of gender? Being a male is. But I think being a man goes just beyond your biological gender. Let me ask you another question. Being a man, is it, is it a matter of age? And I and I think you guys would probably say no. It's not just gender. It's not just age, because there are some guys that that uh, you know they're they're biologically you know that male and they're they're older you know, but they are not men. You know, what, today I was reading in my devotional reading about David when he's about to die and he's charging Solomon. He says, prove yourself a man. Prove you're a man. How? When you read it there in 1 Kings, it's by obeying the Bible. When you become obedient to the Word of God, it's then that you become a man of God. And I I think the same is true for the ladies. You want to be a woman of God? You want to be a virtuous woman? It's not just your, your gender. And it's not just that I wear pink. You know, it's not like that. You know, I have a softer voice. No, I mean, being a woman of God is not a matter of age. You know, I want to encourage all of us here tonight. To know that it has to do, and I know it sounds, you know, pretty basic and old-fashioned, but it's supposed to be simple because God knows we don't have to have, you know, our heads in the clouds to be this. Just obey my word. And so Moses, he was a man of God. I love it, you know. This phrase is found seventy-three times in the Bible. The first time is in Deuteronomy 30, thirty-three, verse one regarding moses but then you go through the bible and you see samuel and elijah and elisha david even timothy and there are other times in the bible where it talks about the man of god especially first Kings 13 i think of that one a lot we don't know their names but i would say this let that be one of your aspirations in life i want to be known like that lord in in your sight And so these guys, uh, verse 3 is interesting, of chapter 3, though fear had come upon them, they still did it. Some people think that courage is the absence of fear. It's not like that. Courage, a lot of times, simply means that we face our fears. You know, and that's what they did right here. They're afraid that people are giving them dirty looks, like, hey... What's up, what do you, you know? And they were probably all big and bad, but you know what? It didn't even matter. They said, we're just gonna do this anyways, because this is what what God wants us to do. And as they built that altar, now they're able to enter into the most holy place. Now they're able to offer up their daily sacrifices. We read that there in verse um three, though fear had come upon them because of the people of the countries. They set the altar on its bases, they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord both the morning and evening burnt offerings. I mean, just, you know, I tell you what, every single day, the Bible says in Numbers twenty-eight, eleven 11 through twenty, it's supposed to be offering sacrifice every day, morning and evening. And in one sense, it's symbolic of us, morning and evening, give it to God. Special times with the Lord. Every single day of your life, I tell you what, you take a day off and you start going in the wrong direction. We keep walking with the Lord so much of our life is a, is a daily walk remember Jesus taught us to pray give us this day our daily bread and I think that's in reference to the scriptures that's why Jesus said in Mark 14 49 I was daily with you every day I was with you in the temple teaching you every single day right and the Bible says that we are to take up our cross how frequently once in a while right <laughs> every day Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I die. Every day. And so now the altar's there and they're able to offer up these sacrifices, burnt offerings, and you guys know what that is. It's, it's just everything, giving it everything to God. Stop holding it back. And then they also kept the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written. That would be a week-long celebration of them just remembering how God had provided for them in the wilderness and on their way to the promised land, and offered the daily burnt offerings and the number required by ordinance for each day. And afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for new moons. So now we're talking about once a month for all the appointed feasts. And so now we're talking about things going on all year long. Of the Lord, of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. And they also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the seat of Joppa according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. And what do you see, man? They're just going forward. They're going forward in the the you know, their their mission, so to speak. What's your mission? You know, I believe, you guys, that God needs you together with, with a mission in mind. A lot of it has to do with our children, our families. I mean, it, it almost doesn't get any bigger than that. But you know what? Then It's so cool how God will even go beyond that because He gives you gifts. He gives you talents that are to be invested into the kingdom. And so they they're going forward with their mission. You know, one thing that's real interesting um, and is this, that they, they actually got all this, you know, money and stuff, and then they got the, lo- the logs that would be uh, floated down the Mediterranean Sea from uh, Tyre and Sidon, from these places. They would get the cedar logs. In order to build the temple, rebuild it, it was the same way that Solomon got the logs. But here's the thing that's really interesting, okay? And I'm just going to share another little weirdness uh, with you guys, but it's kind of cool. They're getting a contribution from who? The Gentiles. That's what they're getting at. in one sense. They're actually getting some, their Gentiles kind of got their hands in this. And and Joppa, that's why you got to go to Israel with us, because you'll be able to kick it there in Joppa. In Joppa is where Jonah ran from the Gentiles. God said, I want you to go, go talk to the Gentiles. I want them to get saved. And it was in Joppa that, you know, Jonah said, no way, I'm going to Spain. But you want to know something that's interesting here in Joppa? In Acts chapter 10 and 11, that's where Peter got the whole vision regarding the salvation of the Gentiles. It's trip. You look at this and you study the scriptures and you're like, man, Lord, this is heavy. I mean, we see the symbolism in so many things. I mean, I thank God. Aren't you guys grateful that God saved the Gentiles? All us Mexicans here, man. (laughs) We, You know, different nationalities. I thank God for the church. I pray that God will continue to bring in just people from all races, man. And Jews too, right? Wouldn't that be cool? Because... That's the way the church is supposed to be, right? And so, you know, the Gentiles, I mean, Joppa, I mean, God doing this work is, to me, it is so cool. And so, uh, we read then in verse 8, in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the rest of Of their brethren, the priests and Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity of Jerusalem, they began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. And then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah arose. Here's the unity again as one. Isn't that cool? to oversee those working on the house of God, the sons of Hanadad with their sons and their brethren of the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And so they're they're going forward now. I mean they built the altar, praise God, reestablishing that relationship, the forgiveness. It's only found through the blood. And now they're laying the foundation uh, to to rebuild the temple. And as a as a result of that, then you know they start they start worshiping. You know, and tonight we're gonna worship. We're gonna spend some more time in worship. And I and I really pray that we would know we have reason to worship. I mean, our God is good. Our God is good, and He has forgiven us of our sins. Yes, you, if you're a Christian, you're forgiven. I mean, we have reason to sing. That's what they're doing. They're, they're singing, and, and God is working. I mean, you look at this whole thing, and, and you know, them being so far away, so far away, away everyone had written them off the israelites the jews they're done they're dead but they weren't god he brought them back right and so now god is just doing this work and you know they're actually i mean it's almost like and I, and I know we've read the story maybe a million times but it's almost like you it's it's so hard to believe i mean i, I can't believe it I look at my own life. I look at my own life. And I've been walking with the Lord for a long time now. But I I look back over the years of His grace and faithfulness in my life. And I, I I just almost, I can't believe it. You know, to this guy who had no hope, addicted to drugs and alcohol and everything else that... Not only had everyone else given up on him, but he had given up on himself. How does he make it? I mean, how can he have a family? How can he have a purpose? I look back on my own life and I just I mean, and that's what they're that's what that's what's happening right here. They're like, "Man, I can't believe we're doing this." How? How? I'll tell you how. It's right there in verse 11. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures for how long? Forever toward Israel. It's not because Manny's good, it's not because you're good. Cause I know a lot of times that's what we think it's based on. Well, am I good? You know what? Sometimes you do okay, but for the most part, you know we we don't. It's because He is good, Amen. and 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 it's and it's His mercy, man. It's not. It'll never be what you deserve. Cause if you get what you deserve, you're in big trouble. But it's because His mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve, and His mercy. It says it endures. And that's a big word, endures. Like you're like, what's that? Endures. I mean, endures through all the way that we blow it, the way that we do things that, you know, we would we should never do. And but we, we would think that God would give up on us, but he won't, because his mercy, it endures. Endures forever that's all they had to sing they just kept saying it over and over again if you if you get a chance you read psalm 136 and that's that whole psalm is about you know the priests would say one thing and the people would say uh, for god is good the lord is good his mercy endures forever and they just kept saying it over and over and over again <laughs> i'm telling you guys you know Um, you got to let this change your life. That his mercy endures forever. And I read a story, Tony Evans was talking about how one day he was on his way to the church and, uh, and he was speeding. Can you believe that pastors speed? How can he call himself a pastor? But anyways... You know, he got pulled over by the cops, and then, you know, he's, oh, I'm sorry. I was on my way. Oh, Pastor Evans, we know you. You're the the pastor of the church over there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to let you go. I'll let you go. And he thought, oh, I deserve a ticket. It's okay. No, no, it's all right. And he showed him mercy, right? So, (laughs) you know what happened? Pastor Tony Evans, he got in his car and he took off, and guess what he did? Pedal to the metal, man. And he starts speeding again. So guess what happened? He get pulls over, he gets pulled over again by another cop. And the cop's just about to let him go. Oh, okay, Pastor Tony, you, you're at this church down there, okay? But then it was kind of cool because the first cop then caught up to him. <laughs> and he just said, I'm sorry, sir, you know, you're a pastor and everything, but you're gonna get a big fat ticket right now. <laughs> And, and, you know, um, uh, for us, when God shows us mercy, you know, let it change you. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. I'm not going to say you're going to eat whatever, you know. But, but it's supposed to change you. I thank God for who He is. And the cool thing about it is that you don't even have to do that on your own strength. Isn't God good? All you got to do is surrender. Lord, I can't. And you fill in the blank. I can't stop. I can't start. God will give you the power to. That's how good God is. So that's all they needed to sing. Then all the people shouted with a great shout. And when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard. Afar off, And so they lay the foundation, they sing the song, and uh, what ends up happening? Some of the old fogies, they're like crying, and the new people are rejoicing. So some are bummed, and some are blessed. Now why are the older people bummed? Do you want to know why? Because they were looking back to the way it was before. Oh, the good old days. It's not the same as it used to be. Well, it's not supposed to be. God's doing a new work. He always is. And so when we allow the past to hold us down and take our joy away, then here you got people with joy and people that are bummed and the people that are listening, they're like, really, I don't know what's going on. And that gets in the way. Of what God wants to do. I look back on my life, and I'll be honest with you, I remember how it was in the beginning, and it was awesome. And then other times, and I have these different, you know, special times in my life and, and things, but I tell you what, man, my, my eyes are on the prize in front of me. Because I'm not going to look back, Paul said in Philippians 3, and see how many hurdles I've cleared or knocked down. I look forward. And when you do, you realize, I'll tell you what, and it even starts right here, right now. God is good, and he really is doing a new work. You know, one thing that's interesting, you guys, and you, you should probably write this scripture down, Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, it says, The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace says the Lord of hosts. we got people here that are bummed out because it's not like the old one. Haggai is saying that this temple is going to be better than the old one. And and he says in this new temple, you're going to have peace. You want to know why it was better? Because this is the temple that Jesus would be in one day. And I'm telling you this, you guys, when it, when you have Jesus... You have peace. Jesus, He is all you need. And He is here tonight just to get us uh, excited, man, to get us uh, on, on track, to encourage us. I'm learning, and I've been a Christian for a long time, but I'm still learning things. And it just seems like lately He's really, really been... Blessing me, emphasizing his his mercy in my life, and I and I just thank him for that. And so tonight we have communion. Um, my prayers that you would just search your own hearts, that you would know um, how good he is, how powerful he is, and that just uh, that kind of like you wouldn't really worry about too many other things except for that personal relationship. That you have with him, and if you don't have one, then that you would you would start one uh, tonight. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel Elmani at air code six two six four five four three four one four. Remember that Jesus loves you.